Hey, did you hear about the new Christian movie or book or thing that's coming out? Let's all shamble together to support this thing, even if it's not very good. That way we can send a message to our churches or our unsaved friends or to big Hollywood. Support. Support. How can Christian fans avoid this rather undead sounding complex, even while we do share the Christian made stories we truly enjoy? Welcome again to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com, in which we find and share and support the best of Christian made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond always applying the beauties, the truths, the goodnesses of these stories to the real world that our creator and author Jesus Christ has called us to serve. I am E. Stephen Burnett. I publish lorehaven.com, and I'm also the co-author of a book called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell. And because my name starts with a Z, there's only a few titles you can put with that. Zookeeper, Zebra, or Zombie. And this is episode 62, How Can Christian Fans Share Great Stories Without Becoming Support Zombies? We know that zombies are trending right now, so, you know, we want to make sure to provide a podcast episode that you'll feel comfortable giving to your unsaved friends. You know that you can make a sermon series out of it because it's got a (laughs) trending uh, item there, a a creature that everyone really seems to like. Zombies are in the Bible, Stephen. Yeah, they are. That's true. That's true. Right there in the book of Ezekiel, actually. Uh, God removes from them their hearts of uh, stone and gives them hearts of flesh. Now, I, I do love the zombie imagery. Uh, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead has even tempted me just a little bit, although I've never seen a zombie movie. So I suppose that's a little early sample from the concession stand. Uh, we might not fit with your preferred zombie uh, headcanon here. We will define that term, by the way, support zombies in just a little bit. First off, uh, if you're unfamiliar with lorehaven.com, as we said, our mission is to find the best of these kinds of Christian-made stories the best is an operative phrase there. We don't just want to support them because they're Christians or make them into tools to give to your unsafe friends or send a message. What we do is we find and review the best of these kinds of stories. We have articles. We have this podcast, of course, at lorehaven.com. You can get all of those updates every weekday by subscribing. It's free at lorehaven.com. The reviews post on Fridays. The articles post about one or two every week. And for example, uh, my new series is about discerning biblical fiction, uh, kind of inspired by The Chosen, which is in its uh, second season now. We're going through that and any other stories that adapt scripture narratives for fictional stories, usually in TV, but also including books and such. Uh, Part two comes out, or as you're listening to this, it actually would have come out uh, this past Monday. And then there will be at least two more parts of that series throughout the rest of May. Uh, last week, we had Carrie Neitz on the podcast on Fantastical Truth. And then we also had an article about uh, why the author really likes the horse and his boy, the fifth chronicle of Narnia. He says it's the best of the series. And we had a review posted on Friday of the uh, short graphic novel, Lovely People, which is by a Christian artist and which features a cast of adorable fluffy bunnies living under a social credit system. It's one of the most amazing things I've seen. I didn't write the review. Uh, but a member of our review team did. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I never thought I'd see something like this. The art is amazing. Uh, that is something that tempts me back toward becoming a support zombie. So definitely check out all those uh, latest articles <laughs> and the reviews at lorehaven.com. Uh, also wanted to give a shout out. Uh, Zach, we were actually meeting together for the first time in a while uh, right there in my living room and the, uh, the Lorehaven Grand Central just last night as we're recording uh, just this past Friday. And uh, Laura McCary joined us. Uh, she's one of our Lorehaven staff writers. And I wanted to give a shout out to her because she has been revitalizing the Instagram feed. Unlike you and me, she actually knows about Instagram. She knows what it's about. Uh, she's able to help me understand the point of the thing as opposed to other social media. And I've just really been appreciating what she's been doing with the Instagram feed. So make sure you follow Lorehaven at Instagram. I think it's at the Lorehaven Mag. Search for Lorehaven and we will pop right up. Well, Stephen, I am a really big fan of the zombie genre. I mean, to to an extent, there's definitely a gory aspect to it, a horror aspect to it that I'm not always in the mood for, but I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead and all the spinoffs. I Am Legend, the Will Smith movie. I guess that's more vampires or similar to zombies. And then there's ones that movies that kind of subvert the zombie genre, like Warm Bodies, which is like a Romeo and Juliet story. There's video games like Left 4 Dead that are fun. 
I haven't seen the classic ones though, like the George Romero, um, Night of the Living Dead or the more recent, like 28 Days Later. I haven't seen those, maybe or may not in the future, but we came up with this idea about support zombies though, because uh, to our listener, we, we're not going to just talk about zombie movies. When we're discussing the TV show, The Chosen, it's come up of like, well, should Christians support this show, uh, but both like socially support it and financially support it? And should we be kind of the de facto decentralized marketing arm of shows like this? Is that the proper role of a Christian? Is it a healthy thing to do? Is it an unhealthy thing to do? So we're going to dive into that today. Well, Zach, you mentioned that uh, with, with some exceptions, we had not seen what we would have expected to see even this time about 15 or 20 years ago, which is if there is a popular Christian made thing that is to some degree excellent, you know, like a, a Christian movie, you know, what one thinks about uh, the, the late 2000s movies, you know, Fireproof, Courageous, you know, some of those are made by Sherwood Pictures. There was an entire, shall we say, industry kind of built up to rally around and support these movies. They were Christians making movies. And we needed to send a message to Hollywood. And this is a movie you could bring your unsaved friend to see, for example. And it, it just seemed that these were everywhere. You know, it was maybe more of a Christian bookstore type thing where you would get, you know, end caps in the Christian bookstore. It just seemed to be a little bit more traditional marketing. Uh, the Chosen as doing things very differently. And then other, uh, other stories that are more traditional fantasy or even the few examples of science fiction you can find. Uh, the marketing for those is very limited and very word of mouth. You basically have to hear it from a friend or a friend of a friend or go to a website like Lorehaven and find the author there or hear Fantastical Truth where the author is actually a guest. That's how you find out about these stories. I look at that and I go, well, you know, I don't mean we need to get, you know, Carrie Neitz on Focus on the Family to talk about Amish vampires or, you know, cyberpunk or anything like that. But man, you know, wouldn't it be kind of nice? You know, and then I start thinking, oh, oh, I'm I'm being tempted to being a a support zombie, you know, a, a member. Zombified. Yeah, just just kind of expecting. Well, this 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 shuffling undead horde, you know, needs to be with us now, you know. And then I realize that actually that behavior has kind of annoyed me a bit before, uh, especially if the horde doesn't seem to have any particular direction in mind, and they're just kind of stumbling around with their arms out, looking like Frankenstein's monster drawling out support uh, support and so we, we began to wonder well if we're afraid of this syndrome uh, infecting even uh, us you know the, the the young christians who don't like all of the systems and you know big evangelical industrial complex uh, how can we just sort of evaluate what do we mean by support zombies or the syndrome or whatever and how might it affect fans of newer christian fantastical fiction if we are building new bodies to share these stories, we must beware the old diseases while we're sharing these stories. And then, of course, be aware that, you know, if it's not a good story, maybe we don't need to share it to send a message. Which brings us rather quickly to a stop by the ever popular concession stand. I think some of those little hot dogs are rolling on the rolling pins there. You can actually get to those now that the pandemic seems to be easing off. Pour yourself a sugary beverage and stand by for concession number one. When we say support zombies, we don't mean to insult anybody. But we have to admit, at least among ourselves, no one else is listening, right? It's just you and me here. Uh, sometimes this does feel like an undead trend. And that is something Christians want to be aware. We don't go along with trends without thinking. Uh, someone may say, support this Christian movie. We must send a message to big Hollywood. I'm not a cynic, but I am a little skeptical when someone says that. I don't know if I need to send a message to Big Hollywood, or maybe there's better ways to send the message to Big Hollywood. We uh, still reject the notion, though, uh, that Christians are not allowed our own subcultures. That's the second snack from the stand here. Uh, sometimes when people are criticizing the Christian support zombie syndrome, there's this idea that well, Christians don't need to be sharing stories with each other anyway. We just need to be going out in the world, uh, which is absurd. Every other group with a common interest is allowed their own subculture. Christians are not exempt from that. If you're going out into the world, just engaging with the world stories, then you're basically acting like there is no church. Churches have stories. We have our own real life stories that we share amongst ourselves. We have larger stories that spread amongst the Christian community. Better to be aware of that and shape that more biblically than to pretend it doesn't exist or shouldn't exist. Concession number three. 
Uh, we also think it does take some effort to act like a fan for something you really like. This doesn't always come naturally. Maybe you found this book where the cover's a little cheesy and maybe it's got some uh, typos in it or something, but the story is amazing. Absolutely amazing. But then you start thinking about it and you realize, I don't know if I want to share this. It's not very popular, you know. Zach, what's that called? It's the effect where like a new restaurant starts up and they might uh, pull in some favors or even hire people uh, to stand in line outside the restaurant and create the impression that it's crowded inside. Uh, there, there's a name for Astro that. In marketing. Yeah, yeah. Or there may be some other term for it. But, uh, you know, similarly, and this is kind of bad, uh, but similarly, I had heard that in some evangelistic crusades, uh, they would actually seed the crowd to rise up and go to the front mm. in response to the big climactic altar call. That seems a little, uh, as the kids would say these days, uh, sus. So we're, we're not for that kind of astroturfing, but we do realize that it, it sometimes takes an effort to go out and share something that you really like if you don't perceive that it's already popular. Uh, number four, uh, this uh, support zombie syndrome can overlap uh, with a related uh, affliction, uh, which I would call, uh, at least early on, the tool for unsaved friends syndrome. We'll touch on that, but that may be worthy of its own uh, complete episode. And then finally, uh, we do have to assume some existing points here. Uh, at Fantastical Truth and Lorehaven, we believe that Christians have a high purpose in sharing and making fiction. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That includes things like evangelism and showing support and sending messages and all of that. We're not too spiritual for that stuff, but fiction does have a greater purpose. If we only focus on those secondary means for fiction, then we're going to miss that greater purpose of glorifying God, worshiping him, enjoying him, and growing in faith. You know, fiction adds means of discipleship. All right, so let's talk about this first point here. What do we mean by support zombies? What are the characteristics of these kind of zombies? How do we spot them? How do we recognize this, uh, this zombie disease that can kind of get inside of us sometimes? Yeah, I call that the we must support a thing to send a message approach. Mm. Uh, I, I don't even think it's a kind of pragmatism where, well, I need to read that story like I would read my Bible. You know, read the Bible and pray and enjoy healthy, moralistic tales and I will grow, grow, grow. That's a related issue. Uh, but the support zombie thing, basically, you're pretending that you're doing this in order so that you can actually do something else. You're almost fooling yourself sometimes when, in fact, the real reason you enjoy that story might be completely different. Maybe it is a good story. You know, we'll talk about some genuinely good movies here, uh, but people are missing the true benefits of these well-made stories uh, because they think that those goals are somehow less spiritual. The message, by the way, that we're sending uh, is either either we need to send a message to the world, uh, a virtue signaling form, actually, or we need to send a message to the church, which I actually see some more of that lately when there's a lot of people who have what I've been calling the church back home uh, syndrome. You need to read particular authors or say certain slogans or adopt certain political stances in order to send a message. To the church back home. You, know, you need to really get to those uh, bad guys, you know, the abusive types or those folks who really hurt you at the church back home by doing this. And like that, that's a kind of a related issue. The one that I grew up hearing though most was uh, support this thing. We must send a message to Hollywood, send a message mm. to Hollywood, send a message to Hollywood. <laughs> and that one got a bit redundant. And like, I, I don't know Hollywood. I like, why do I need to send them a message? Like, I just want a good story so I can grow as a person and enjoy creativity for God glorifying reasons. Hopefully I think again, there may be reasons to signal something. I mean, uh, we've had the, the episode before about whether or not we should cancel Netflix. I think there are things that we communicate and in, in those choices. I'm even thinking about canceling a few streaming services now, just because I would like to, in my own little way, steer them in a particular creative direction. So yeah, I am trying to send messages, but the message I'm trying to send is not, we need more values in our movies necessarily. It's, I want more excellent movies. I would like to see more excellent movies from you. And then even as a Christian fan of fantasy, I mean, I will sort my reading choices according to preferences. And if there is a book I read that I'm not too thrilled about, I'm likely not to talk about it. 
but I'm not going to be a support zombie for that book. Well, we must, uh, we must send a message to publishers that we need more Christian fantasy. Like, well, that's astroturfing, isn't it? It's a little bit of a economic bubble. It's a form of stimulus and it devalues the product itself. Uh, what you're saying is in effect, not, I want more high quality Christian fantasy. Uh, you're saying I want more Christian fantasy, even if it's low quality. So this applies to us, uh, not just the, uh, older Christians who maybe acted like support zombies back in the day uh, in regards to Christian G or PG rated movies. Yeah. I think the core danger here could be a popularity contest. So you mentioned, you know, trying to send a message to the world. There was that viral video from, I think it was Buzzfeed a few years ago. It was, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not dot, dot, dot. And you know, it was, <laughs> it was like exactly the, it was Luke 18 where the Pharisee is like, I thank you, God, I am not like that tax collector over there. And, you know, that is that's always a trap to say, well, I, I'm a good Christian, or I'm a cool Christian, or I'm a loving Christian, or I'm a whatever. I'm a, I'm Christian. a creative Christian. I'm not like that Philistine, you know, uncreative uh, hack <laughs> over there. Right. Yeah, so it can be sort of this... Um, clout chasing like i i want people to like me now i think there is a evangelistic version of that which is like i want people to listen to me or to or to the gospel and if uh you know if i don't support the really good christian things then people won't listen to christianity but i think you know when it comes to like sending a message to hollywood that's probably the one i hear the most and i and i'm sure i've repeated that line myself Hollywood is wants to produce Christian films, but they need to know the right kinds of films that we want to see. So unless we tell them to make these Christian movies, they're going to make bad Christian movies or, or something. Or, or if we, if we don't go see movies like this, they aren't going to make any more and this will be the last one. And it's, you know, there's sort of like a poverty mindset there and sort of a greed mindset there. It's like, well, if you enjoyed this movie, make sure to, like and subscribe and hit the thumbs up and hit the bell and hit the five stars and leave a review and uh, retweet it and repost it and re I don't know what you do on Instagram regram it I don't know I thank you Laura for taking care of Instagram but you know it's all these things it's like we gotta make sure everyone knows or we won't get any more content and we need more content it's the consumerism push more than anything else it we we want them to know about this so we'll have more yeah. And what I mean, of course, by using the term zombie is implying some measure of thoughtlessness, uh, going along with the herd, uh, not using your brains, uh, you know, kind of imitative behavior, a bit of clout chasing, as you said, or, or even just trend chasing. Well, my pastor said we need to go to this movie in order to send a message to Hollywood. I know there's lots of Christians, particularly young Christians, who've been very frustrated with that kind of approach. I still think there's a legitimate side to support, and we might get into that a little bit later, but it's almost a form of politicking. You know, I alluded to whether or not you keep a streaming service because you want to support the type of content on there. I, I think the support needs to be based on creative excellence as well as truth content. You know, uh, a particular G or PG rated uh, evangelical movie, a, a Christian social drama uh, that may have ideas you agree with, uh, but it's you know, if it's not automatically the type of movie you would enjoy, then why would you go along with the types of folks at your church who do naturally like that kind of thing? You know, basically a more Christian Hallmark movie, if you would not enjoy it, you know, maybe it's really well made for what it's trying to be. But if it's not the type of story that you already enjoy, that meets you where you are, that challenges you and, you know, to an extent entertains you, you know, pleases you but in a way that makes you more like Jesus, in a way that makes you thank God. If you're going to this thing and it's just frustrating, uh, but you feel like you have to, and you're not using your brains, that's what we mean by support zombies. So let's talk about this second point. How have Christians previously acted like support zombies? Uh, Stephen, what, what are like the movies or the books or the other kinds of things that come to mind when you think of where this uh, the zombie horde has taken over? Yeah, I scribbled a few examples, but you, you actually said that you've heard this fairly recently. So I'll ask you in a moment uh, if you have any more up-to-date examples. Uh, the ones that I have are a, a few years old. Uh, we uh, can automatically, I actually remember 2004 when this phenomenon occurred with Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. 
uh, which is, I think, overall a good movie. You know, it's obviously artistically excellent uh, for what it's trying to be. Uh, I've only seen it one time, so I may be operating from a memory of a memory here. But I think we can agree that at least it was a well-made movie. Uh, but the Christian industrial complex uh, kicked into high gear for this one. I mean, at the time, uh, Christian audiences helped to make this the top-earning R-rated film ever until literally Deadpool with Ryan Reynolds <laughs> bumped it from the top spot. Uh, a fact that I'm sure was very amusing to uh, Mr. Poole. The support zombies were mixed in with legitimate support. I mean, at the time, there were not a whole lot of biblical fiction uh, movies. Now there's a lot of them, which is really great. You know, not just The Chosen, but some other really great efforts. It was hard, though, not to feel that this was kind of a trend among Christians. Like, oh, uh, Mel Gibson, he's famous. He's an A-lister. He's paying attention to us. This was going to send a message to Hollywood that there's an audience for these types of movies. You know what, though? They weren't wrong. Our support did show that there was a, a uh, opening for these kinds of movies. I doubt that we would have The Chosen or Risen or Paul Apostle of Christ or any of those things now if it hadn't been for the Passion of the Christ phenomenon. So it's hard to argue with results. It just kind of felt like there was some unthinking support in there and then ultimately you actually had some christians going to see a very violent r-rated movie uh, who were not comfortable with that you know but i do remember feeling like people were being pressured to go see this movie when they i mean they may have not even been to a movie theater like in some particularly more conservative church or christian environments that was literally an issue i wonder if maybe some consciences were wounded from that experience and i would certainly hope that uh, in the future, if we tried something like that, there may be a little bit more training uh, from the pulpit or from your small group or just from the articles you're reading on the internet or what have you about what movies are for, a perspective on redemptive context of violence in movies, that sort of thing. It's a great learning opportunity and uh, it'd be better if we did some of the learning before actually seeing the movie. I got a couple of other examples, but Zach, can you think of anything similar? You know, even if it's about, you know, Christian books, because that happens with Christian books, you know, not just uh, Christian movies. Yeah. So with Christian movies, um, I had to cheat a little bit and pull up a list here, but there was a bunch that came out when our oldest daughter was born. There was uh, End of the Spear about uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. And there was uh, One Night with the King, which is about Queen Esther, The Nativity Story, which is about the birth of Christ. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. That's a good one. And with yeah. the future uh, Marvel's Moon Knight in it as well, <laughs> as well as the pilot from uh, Star the Star Wars sequels. I forget. Oh, about Poe Dameron. Yeah, yeah, it's Oscar Isaac. Yeah, so One Night with the King. I actually heard about at church in a Sunday school class, and I feel like there was even a poster in the class about it. And it, it was either the poster that said this or the Sunday school teacher that was like. We need to all go watch this and send a message to Hollywood that we want TM. more movies like this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but it was actually a really good movie and I, I enjoyed it. Very well done portrayal of Esther into the spear. I feel like there was some of that there, but uh, what I remember most from into the spear was the controversy among Christians because oh, I remember that one the of, actor, one right? Of the actors is gay. Yeah. And so a lot of, uh, that, that stirred up a lot of controversy hopefully a lot of people sort of grew out of that mindset that like, like you can't make a movie w without non-Christians, you know, and at least in a big way, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you still see some of that with the, among the chosen fandom, there are questions and I'll actually address this in a future article of my discerning biblical fiction series at lorehaven.com. But there are questions among fans of the show. Wait a minute. There are non-Christians involved in the production and they're, they're actually using like this Bible village in Utah, which is you know, affiliated with, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, i.e. Mormons, mm. uh, who believe very non-Christian, anti-biblical things. Uh, what do we do with questions like that? And I, I think those are good questions to ask. It, it shows that your zombie uh, vacation is not entirely mm -hmm. uh, complete. You know, you still got some brains in there, which is wonderful. Uh, even if you support a thing, there's always going to be some flaw with it. And there absolutely are going to be non-Christians involved with the manufacturing of that thing. I'm going to take a gentle swipe at God's not dead. I, I think that movie was very laden with a agenda to get the word out. I, I won't say a whole lot more about that, but uh, I feel like the, the blind side was, was one that 
you didn't have to say support this because Sandra Bullock's in it. So it's probably a good movie. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, when, when you see an A-lister, it's like, well, you don't really have to convince anyone to see it. it and, and maybe that's part of what goes on is that when it's these obscure actors or directors, it's like, well, why would anyone see this? There's a great story from um, this book I was reading of a guy that was in line uh, to see a movie. And these, the guy was, um, this kid was in line, like college student in line in front of him and his two friends come up and they're like, okay, so what movie are we seeing? And, uh, the, the student you know, said the name and the other student, the other guys are like, well, well, what's it about? And he goes, Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, well, it's like, oh, that's all that matters. Okay. Sean Connery's in it. Let's watch it. It's a bit of an older way of looking at movies, though, is you know, who who's in it. You know, now right. it's much more story based and or more franchise based. You know, I don't know who's in it, but it's a Disney movie and it's animated. So mm. easy sell, you know, so it would go. And I mean, th- that's that's a, that's a related point, too, is that, you know, the support zombie syndrome is not it's certainly not related to Christians. And anyone who thinks so has spent a little too much time in youth group getting jaded. Now, this is a human behavior. It is 100% a human behavior to chase the trend or go by name recognition or go by, I just need something nice for the kids, or even to adopt a, a related uh, symptom uh, that I've previously called the such a nice young man complex. Uh, that's how you get uh, Christian books, especially by uh, very popular young megachurch pastors. And then suddenly they catch fire and they can just write one book a year in addition to ruling a you know, quasi-religious empire. It's amazing. Suddenly they have a whole squadron of ghostwriters going through their old sermons and turning them into books. And people will buy the books because such a nice young man. Uh, And you can almost hear, you know, a bit of a senior citizen voice there. And some of this does tend to be, you know, older folks who there's a certain value in the name recognition and in the comfort and in the idea that you're doing something valuable. You can, even while you're running your busy life or helping out with the grandkids or what have you, uh, you can still send a message. You can still affect the culture. That's a good impulse, but at the expense of excellence, you know, at the expense of things that might be more effective, there's the rub. I, I think this whole thing stems from entertainment as social action. Yes, yes. It's still happening, of course. <laughs> I'm going to wade very gently into this, but about a year or two ago, someone asked this question in a group I was in, well, what, what can we do about black lives matter? And someone's answer was, well, go watch this Netflix documentary, buy this book and buy this product. And I'm like, okay, so your answer to this social problem is ethical consumerism. Yeah. That's a very uniquely American way of, of looking yeah, at that's problems. A very, very human Western way. Yeah. It's, it's not just, you know, grandma Josephine uh, from the church back home uh, who wants to go out and watch the Christian Hallmark movie to send a message to big Hollywood or so she imagines uh, that is happening among Christians of every ages. We're always going to be confronting that impulse apparently. Now let, you brought up the chosen. So let, let's park there for a second because the chosen is a very interesting Um, It sort of breaks out of the matrix with all this because they are not funded by Hollywood types or or venture capitalists or whatever. They're entirely crowdfunded. So saying we need to watch this to send a message, it really doesn't work. Actually, You, you are presented an option in the chosen app to quote, pay it forward and, and buy a copy of the episode or, or donate. And then that helps other people watch it for free. And so it, I mean, there is a little bit of that in there, but it, it's not the same way and that you're not trying to get someone's attention in their big office and, you know, the skyscraper in LA, you are directly helping this movie go forward by donating to it. And I, I kind of a, appreciate the transparency of that in a way. It's like, Hey, you can be a part of funding this and, the, and there's not a guilt factor either. It's not like, if you don't fund this, no one will ever watch this. I mean, they have a very visionary approach. Um, you look in the app and they, they show you, here's how far we funded um, season three. And as soon as that gets funded, we're going to go after season four. And hey, look, we have a plan to make eight seasons of this. And so right away, you see their long-term vision of it. And you see exactly what your money or your whatever, your purchase is going towards. But it's not done in like a um, a manipulative way like it's a very straightforward way 
It is straightforward and yet also polished. And having watched the shows in marketing, especially on social media, for quite some time now, I've been able to pick out a few approaches that they seem to be attempting simultaneously. And I admire that largely. Uh, you know, one moment they will be posting a photo of uh, uh, Jonathan, Ro Ro how you pronounce his last name, Raumi, who plays uh, Jesus. Uh, and he's in a, a robe and he's standing by a door and it's nighttime. And they said, oh, this is Jedi Jesus. You know, this is our Jesus <laughs> looking like Obi-Wan Kenobi. And someone will Photoshop in a lightsaber and they'll have fun and they'll basically be like Christian geeks, which I love. And then some grumpy sorts will show up in the comment sections and then the wars erupt and then it's not fun anymore. <laughs> they're doing this. Uh, they're also doing the, the transparent approach. I saw a photo posted recently where all they said was, if we're filming on a dirt road, you know, we will prepare the dirt surface looking like this, you know, little details matter. So they're, they're letting people in on the production. They're helping them feel uh, like they're behind the scenes. You know, it's a little bit of impression, like you're on the set, you know, you're invested in this, which uh, Christian Bible movies in particular, I've done that for a while. I actually had a whole article about some of the flaws of that approach. You know, if, if you're feeling too behind the scenes, uh, if, if you feel like you're the one who actually put the robes together that the apostles are wearing, uh, then it's a little bit harder for you to separate yourself and enjoy the whole thing as a work of art. You know, you're invested in it as an investor. You know, you want to know if it performs. And that's uh, that's that's a bit of a distancing uh, or actually. Yeah, you're actually too close when you actually could use a distancing effect, you know, for mm -hmm. the actual power of the creativity. And then the chosen is also doing kind of this, uh, this, this wry millennial approach, even while it's appealing to older supporters, uh, they will ask people, you know, yeah, okay, we'll put it on YouTube now, uh, which now is the traditional way to watch TV in the 21st century. But also they'll say, can you go download the app at the chosen.tv? And there's some controversy there. People don't want to download the app. They want to watch it on YouTube. You know, uh, it, it's like, I, I don't I want, I just want to see it at the seven o'clock news. <laughs> it's interesting how, uh, the, the <laughs> ages and expectations of the audience change. So they're doing all this at once. And I, I think that that bears watching very carefully because it is a respect for where older audience members are coming from, but also an eye toward the future, uh, realizing that, you know, yes, uh, we need to hew closely to scripture, you know, not just because we believe it, uh, but because the audience is going to expect that. I mean, as close as the chosen hues to the gospel, they still start debates among the fans about whether or not so-and-so would have said this or you know, any of those things. And I actually think fans should discuss that. And Dallas Jenkins, who himself is surprisingly transparent in the social media responses, uh, he actually endorses that approach. He wants people to hold them to account, which is good. The creator of the show is discouraging support zombieism, even while asking people to support it. And then they go out and they prove we're not just making this to send a message. Like we're making this to tell a story. Yes, you can share this with your unsaved friends. And there are many non-Christian fans of the chosen, but it's not the primary goal. And uh, he's not going out there saying this is an evangelistic tool registered trademark. Uh, this is something you unwrap out of the package you know, from the hardware store and then use it to hammer in the nail. Uh, this is a story. It's a creative work. It has purposes to glorify God through the creativity, uh, which, uh, which, by the way, my last example real quick is a, is a, is a marked contrast to the movie Noah by Darren Aronofsky, uh, the fantasy movie. I mean, it's literally, I, I called it an Elseworld approach uh, mm. to the flood narrative. Uh, once, once you imply that interpretive grid, uh, you don't entirely hate it. I've only seen it once. So again, I'm going by a memory of a memory, but this was the Bible accounts, you know, with the global flood and you know the sinfulness of man and all the animals and everything. But then there's also a stowaway and God isn't communicating very clearly. And then by the end, you literally have Noah wondering if he should kill his own grandchildren to abort the human race because we're just so evil, even if God brought us safely through the flood. It's crazy. And also there are famously rock monsters. Back when the movie came out, though, I actually wrote about this, and we will link to that article in the show notes, uh, an article called When All You Have Is Evangelism, Every Movie Looks Like a Tool. The Christians who were told about the movie and some of the deviations from Scripture, after that, some of them said in so many words, it doesn't matter, let's use it as an evangelism tool. Effectively, the support zombification process had begun. And I, I quote from someone in the article, uh, no offense here. It's just what he said. I said, quote, rather than lambast the film, 
National Religious Broadcaster CEO Jerry Johnson said that Noah should serve as an opportunity for Christians to share their faith. Why don't we turn it into something evangelistic? He asked. End quote. I'm all for evangelism, but if that's at the expense of criticizing the movie where it needed to be criticized, not just because the rock monsters were silly, I don't think they were silly, I thought they were cool, uh, but because the whole worldview of the thing was ultimately kind of a subversion of the point of the flood narrative in Genesis, okay, I can use anything to evangelize, I can use cancer to evangelize, but that doesn't mean the cancer isn't bad. I don't think I need to turn into a support zombie for any good cause, even the potential salvation of an imaginary neighbor. So I'm going to push back on that slightly here. I'm thinking back to when the Da Vinci Code came out. The ministry that I work for did a really good job of creating a discussion guide of sorts that goes along with it. Our perspective was, look, people are buying this book and watching this movie in record numbers. And okay, it's teaching a lot of very false and contradictory things, but it shows that people are interested in this topic. They are interested in what is the truth about the Bible and they are being fed propaganda and lies. So this is an opportunity for us because people are curious and it's sort of a responsibility of us not to set the record straight or anything like that, but just to say, Hey, you saw this. Would you like to talk about it? I, I have some thoughts about it. Interestingly, they were not, our ministry was not encouraging us to go see the movie. They were just kind of staying neutral. Yeah. Well, that's the difference. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's support zombieism. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't saying like, go out and take all your friends. Yeah. I, I, I sort of would have had a problem with that if they had, and that, that was the very delicate balance that we had to strike was, you know, we, we understand if you don't want to give money to this film, but if you've seen it or you know that your friends have seen it, why don't you just talk about it? And here are some ways you can talk about it. And I thought that was a very natural transition. Amen. Because I, I think what we're actually talking about here is, is boycotts and inverse boycotts. Christians have understood boycotts. We, we've, we've done a great job of that over the years. And I think the support zombie thing is like the anti-boycott uh, of like, well, you know, we have to watch this. It really comes down to that at times. It doesn't come down to don't watch this or you have to watch this. Naomi was just reading Hebrews. It says like, leave behind the elementary teachings of do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. He's talking to Jewish Christians that are still stuck in the Old Testament practices that they don't need now as followers of Christ. And, and I think we can sort of take that very immature approach sometimes to stories of saying you have to see this or don't you dare see this. Right. Rather, it's just, Hey, people are watching this. Why don't you just talk to them about it? Like, yeah, it, it's well, just that simple. Well, that's, that's appropriate popular culture engagement, which if, if you are called and gifted and you have friends or family members who are interested in this, uh, particularly if you're a parent, then absolutely that is part of your calling as a great commission fulfilling Christian to engage that thing. If you get to know the stories your neighbor loves, you get to know your neighbor, your family member, whomever. So yeah, that's not the same thing as being a support zombie. A support zombie, as you said, would have been, well, let's all round up our friends. Uh, let's go see this movie and let's pretend that it's awesome. Because, I mean, in some Elseworld version of Christianity, we could say, well, you know, Dan Brown and, uh, you know, and um, uh, Tom Hanks and Ron Howard, the director of you know, real, the movie version, at least, like they've really gotten onto something. You know, people are interested in the early church. So let's go take them do the movie and we'll send a message to Hollywood that we want more movies about them uh, uh, unraveling the symbology of the early church. And we'll just ignore those parts about trying to hijack it all for Gnosticism. Uh, and then we can send a message to Hollywood that we want more stories like this. And then maybe eventually we can even get some better stories about this. Like eh, that, that's a long game. I'm not willing to play. Uh, that would strike me as a kind of thoughtlessness. And I think Christians largely avoided that approach with the Da Vinci Code. I, I think that largely our approach of trying to engage with it from a critical perspective was healthier. The only thing I would have improved on that is, golly, say something about the fact that at least the book, which I did read by Dan Brown, is terribly written. <laughs> it, it, it is absolutely terribly written. Uh, I once wrote a review where I just went through and I said, this, this is just a bad sentence. This is the clunkiest clunky prose, uh, that you would have ever read. And yet I, I was working at a Christian bookstore and people would come in saying good people trying to engage with it. 
they would come in and say, oh, I read the book and it was a great story, even if it was heretical. And I go, okay, you're one for two. It was also a terrible story. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't reject that. Like, no, this was not smartly written prose. Uh, this was terrible. You know, the main character is a complete wuss. Uh, that he doesn't take action at all. He just sits there and waits for things to happen and then lectures people about symbology and tries to make you feel smart. Yeah, we should do a whole episode about the Da Vinci Code phenomenon and what we can learn from that. But uh, I guess we need to move on to our, our final point here, uh, which is more of an application about how can Christian fantasy fans, so the types of people listening to Fantastical Truth and enjoying the books that we share at Lorehaven, how can we avoid the support zombie syndrome? This is not just something that happened in the elder days of the Da Vinci Code or the Passion of the Christ or you know, any of the Heaven Tourism books. Uh, this is something that can happen to us if we're not careful. We want to protect against this particular pandemic. Yeah, Stephen, I, I think you've already kind of said this, but I, I think the key is honesty. We can't call yes. what is bad good. Yes. You know, don't lie to yourself or others. It support what you actually like and and don't worry about supporting bad movies. I mean, this is, um, yeah, we can have this attitude of like, Oh, that's just crazy. Uncle Bob got to love him. And it's like, well, but not everyone likes crazy uncle Bob. And so you don't have to pretend like he's that great of a guy. If he's, if he's crazy. And if there's a movie that, that you feel conflicted about, it's fine to not promote it. It's fine to not watch it again. I've, I very much personally try to take an approach like, and this is just a personal thing, but how, um, it, it said of Jesus, a bruised reed, he will not break. Mm. Th that is, that is very much the attitude I try to have towards Christian movies because I have made Christian short films and I know exactly how hard it is for a five minute, you know, film versus I can imagine a two hour film. And so I look, I, I don't want to try to break anyone's back that is trying to make a Christian movie. So I, I try to be very gentle in my reviews of Christian movies. At the same time, if something is just, if I'm just shaking my head, I'm just not going to be dishonest about that and try to push it on everyone else. I'm just going to put it back on the shelf or return it to Blockbuster. Well, if there was Blockbuster. But I think we have to just have that sense of integrity. We do, and we also need to have a biblical vision to which I alluded earlier of what is the purpose of fiction. I think that's 80% of the struggle there. If you're haunted by the suspicion that the main goal of fiction or anything creative or books or movie or whatever, if the only or highest purpose of those is to help evangelize your unsaved neighbor or to send a message, then of course it makes perfect sense to turn into some kind of pragmatic actor uh, as if an investor in a product rather than a partaker of a story, uh, it would make perfect sense. But that's not the purpose of the story. Uh, the purpose of the story is to glorify God, uh, to show more of his excellence, to reflect the world that he's made and imitate his role as the author, as the creator. Uh, in so doing, you are magnifying his name, and it is an act of evangelism or discipleship. It's still part of the Great Commission, but you're not trying to give that person an altar call or, you know, make sure that they renew their faith or, you know, actually follow through on what they believe or, you know, any of that churchy kind of stuff. Uh, you are presenting a world that reflects the virtues of God and magnifies him. And then with that as the backup, that person will hopefully understand the more overt proclamations of the gospel from a nonfiction resource or a sermon or whatever. Uh, the purpose of fiction is discipleship in a way for the Christian. And that's definitely a future episode that we're going to have as well. Uh, but even, uh, even for good stuff though, even for like uh, Lewis and Tolkien books, you will see some support zombieism. I didn't even talk about when the lion, the witch and the wardrobe came out. Cause that was a good movie, big budget. Walt Disney produced it, you know, Shrek one and Shrek two director, Andrew Adamson making it. Uh, we talked about that in our episode back in December, good movie, but we had some support zombies. Now we got to support this movie to send a message to Hollywood. We want some more uh, Christian movies out there. Well, it wasn't a bad movie. You know, you had similar to the Passion of the Christ uh, a year earlier. Uh, you had legit reasons to support and uh, mixed in with you know, more of the trend chasing. Well, I guess I better book up the theater now and buy a bunch of tickets for my unsaved friend because my pastor said I should do it. Uh, you may miss the true beauties of that movie uh, with that approach by trying to turn it into a tool. Uh, and then you may end up following a somewhat mindless zombie horde 
Uh, apart from the movies, though, I have noticed uh, a little bit of this uh, phenomenon among some Christian fantasy fans. Uh, because Lorehaven reviews books, we obviously find some books that our review team are not too fond of. Usually we try to avoid those books, not because we want to insult anybody, but just because, so far as it depends on us, we want to find and share the best books that we know. I'm not going to share the book because I want to send a message to someone or try to get somebody saved by reading a book. I want the book to be good. Like you said, Zach, being honest about whether this thing is good or truthful or beautiful, if it's reflecting the virtues and the creativity of God in excellent ways. You're not going to pull that tool for unsaved friends bluff on me there. Even if I believed in that approach, I would want the tool to be well-made and not fall apart the instant you try to use it on the unsaved friend. So that's not going to work. I have a completely ulterior understanding of what the story should be doing in order to glorify God. Well, and right there, you know, seeing a movie or a book as a tool of evangelism or as a... um kind of like an artificially intelligent tool that will do all the work for you. I think it's a really easy trap for Christians to fall into that. Like if I just press play on this, I was going to say tape or DVD, but no one watches it anymore. If I just hit start or whatever on this Netflix show and my unsafe friend is next to me, then the movie will do all the work or this book will do all the work. I always go back to what uh, my boss said like 10 years ago, which was, you know, we believe in personal evangelism, emphasis on the person. It's up to us to share the gospel. And that's a person to person thing. You can't just, de- you know, depersonalize it by, by letting this work of art do everything for you. Sure. Watch it with them. And, but, but you have to be the one to walk them through the gospel. Don't outsource that. And so we, you know, we can't just take that, that easy path of doing that. And, you know, Stephen, something else that came to mind is that we just have to kind of have sympathy with people. I think a lot of people have been burned by the, oh, this movie's good, or this book is good, I promise. It's not like all those other bad ones. Just trust me. Just watch it. Yes. It's Lucy with the football and Charlie Brown. This time, (laughs) I'm not going to yank it away. Yeah. And I, I think we try to oversimplify it by saying, oh, this one's good. It's not like those bad ones. You know, with The Chosen, I just tell people how funny it is. I just share these really funny moments from the, the, the story. I'm like, I just really enjoyed this episode. Uh, with Lamb Among the Stars, I focus on, hey, this is a book that is a sci-fi about post-millennialism, and that's just crazy and fun. And just talking about that is what got my friend Brandon to read it. And he loves that book now. And, and again, it's like, not that we're post-millennialists. Like I wasn't trying to convert him because I'm not a post-millennialist. It was just, this was so fun. I want a friend to enjoy the fun with me. Well, we were talking with Laura last night about the purpose of fiction, including discipleship. You know, yes, it's fun, but also, you know, there is pragmatic value. You know, I do believe in the stories that I share, the ones that I'm most enthusiastic about, whether or not they're by Christian creators. I believe this story will help you become a better person. And that's the humanistic language. But in my biblical worldview, a better person means more like Jesus Christ. You'll be thinking more of his thoughts after him, not by studying his word, but by listening to his word as repeated or imaged or simulated, you know, in an imaginary world by a talented author or a very creative uh, non-Christian director even. Uh, This can happen, but like you said, it's about honesty and it's about going with the stuff that we are naturally enthusiastic about uh, rather than going along with the zombie horde, Uh, which, which does lead though. I mean, it is not simply an issue of don't be like the bad guys. I mean, that's how some of the support zombies get that way. We're mixing metaphors here, but the whole idea of send a message to Hollywood is purely defensive. It is countercultural. And what I see, especially among some young Christians, even some fans of fantasy uh, who are Christians, they try to be counter-countercultural. Well, I don't, be like, uh, I don't want to be like the support zombies. Well, the support zombies don't want to be like big Hollywood or you know, like <laughs> unsaved friends. So that, that's what got them where they are. You know? So I'm not proposing a counter-counter-countercultural uh, <laughs> movement. Uh, that's entirely too many countertops there. Uh, I'm proposing complete agnosticism about what the zombies or the counter zombies or whoever, like I'm going to be as far as it depends on me, completely indifferent to what they're doing. Uh, The reason to enjoy great stories is purely positive. 
Uh, it is not reactive. It is proactive. Uh, there is a positive goal of glorifying God and engaging with his world for his glory. And that's the main purpose. Anything else is included, but incidental. It is secondary. And I think that's one way to, to heal from the support zombie syndrome and just share the stories that we enjoy uh, being completely agnostic about uh, what the counterculture activists are doing about them. For example, like, let's say that I, I find a really great story that I really enjoy by an author no one's ever heard of. Maybe it won an award, you know, maybe, but the award is kind of obscure. But like, I read the story and I really liked it. And this has happened, including with some stories that we've reviewed for Lorehaven. No one's ever heard of this person. It takes some training, uh, even some emotional uh, sharpening. But at this point, I don't care that no one's ever heard of that story. With whatever influence I have been given, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell everyone, you have to read this. I think it's amazing. And of course, that alone is selective, too. You know, you're not going to recommend it to someone who you know won't like it, even if it is good. Uh, you're going to share it to the friends who already enjoy it. That's why we have in the Lorehaven Reviews the best of sec uh, best for section. Uh, we want to target this story towards people who are already more likely to like it uh, because they're familiar with the genre or they're in that age group. You shouldn't be reluctant to share that story because, well, I don't want to be a mindless support zombie and I'm just promote it because it's by a Christian or I don't want to, uh, I don't want to promote something that's not already popular, you know, then, then I might feel weird. It takes some maturity to get over that. And then also not trying to be, you know, doing the whole, I liked it before it was cool, you know, hipster thing either. I think we need to be agnostic to all of those impulses, popularity, perception, and even the ability to evangelize is not the point of the story. Is the story good, true, and beautiful by the standards of God? If so, then you should feel inclined to share that story. It doesn't matter whether or not it sends a message to some imaginary group or enemy out there. Avoid that kind of peer pressure and don't be like a herd of undead acting support zombies. Yeah, I think the main reason to share it is simple. Share it out of love, like as an act of love to someone else. You know, because the reality is most books get shared by word of mouth. Uh, most books don't have big marketing budgets. And, and so if you're the person that found a book and you can think of someone that would like it, will be the person to share it simply to break through the, you know, the radical individualism that we can fall prey to what uh, Rod Dreher calls the atomization of, of Western society, you know, share a book to build community, to be the person that gets to introduce your friend or, or neighbor to something really good, or really fun, you know, and like you said, Stephen, don't, don't be afraid to go on a limb. Don't be afraid to look uncool because what that actually means is that you're being a leader. Be willing to be a leader, to, to lead other people to great stories. I mean, then you get to be the guy that people come to. Hey, do you know any good books? And then, you know, you kind of build that reputation of someone that can recommend great stories. And this is part of the Lorehaven mission to help terraform the church, terraform Christian culture, subcultures, whatever, wherever it is found. Uh, we want eventually within a generation or two, or may even take a century or two, people to look at Christians and not necessarily say, oh, they have the most awesome stories. Like you hear that line sometimes where it's just expected that everyone's going to recognize that Christians have the most awesome stories. If we only just did X, Y, Z, I don't know what the world's perception is going to be. And to a large extent, I'm indifferent there. I want to know what God's perception is going to be. Do our stories give him glory through creative excellence and emphasis on truth fleshed out in an imaginary world? That's my main concern. And if a story comes along and does that, I'm going to share that story as much as I can. What about you, gentle listener? Uh, how have you gotten over some support zombie complexes? Or what are some of the most egregious outbreaks among even otherwise godly Christians who suddenly become brain-seeking undead, meandering about the streets and possibly suffering violent ends we cannot describe here? I certainly hope not. These are our brothers and sisters, by the way. We don't mean to call them zombies. It's the belief. It's the belief, Zach, that's, uh, that is the support zombie, not, not the person. So let us be kind here. The virus. But at the same time, yeah, <laughs> at the same time, I think it does help us to be honest. Uh, this can feel really frustrating sometimes, especially, Zach, that phenomenon you described earlier, uh, being hoodwinked. Uh, oh, this time, it's a really good Christian movie. And then you show <laughs> up and then, yeah, it's the same movie you saw before the last time we had this trend going through the Sunday school class. 
I'd love to hear the listener stories. I'd love to hear your story. You can email podcast at lorehaven.com. Uh, you can also go to the comment section at the uh, lorehaven.com slash podcast episode notes right there at the top. Uh, you can also tag us at uh, lorehaven at lorehaven on Twitter. We're also at Lorehaven Mag on Facebook. And then, as we mentioned at the top of the show, our recently revitalized Instagram feed. You can also find uh, all of the articles, reviews, the podcast clips shared at our Instagram at Lorehaven Mag. And uh, hit us up in the comments section. Tell us your story about uh, overcoming support zombie syndrome and just sharing stories because they're awesome. All right, Stephen, check out this uh, comment we got. After our previous episode or two episodes ago, this is from an anonymous listener. And that part is important because of what uh, they say to us. So I'll read this first part here. Anonymous writes, quote, just listen to the new podcast. Harry Neitz is always a delightful guest. I have a simple theory about why Christian science fiction fantasy is overrun with fantasy, but it is way too controversial to post publicly. I get attacked from every angle and called lots of names, but honestly, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Gender. End quote. Yeah. She had more to say. Uh, I definitely excerpted that there. Uh, that was a fascinating conversation, and uh, I'm actually going to follow up with that. Uh, because, as I mentioned, this is a she who said that. And she she's not blaming the women. You know, this isn't going to be a, a sex war if we can help it. You know, God made men and women in his image and both glorify him in unique ways and are equal in his sight. And all those disclaimers that I could uh, issue here, uh, we won't get into that now. But I, I did mention, uh, Zach, you may remember when we started that conversation, that episode, I did mention at the top that this was uh, an area for expansion. There is an issue here of the types of stories that men and women prefer in and out of the church. And in this case, it is just a simple fact by statistics in all fiction publishing, women read more fiction. That's why romance is the top genre and all of its different spinoffs. That's not just a Christian bookstore problem, you know, from back in the early 2000s. You know, women read the books and men don't go to church, you know, so let's put a motorcycle on the stage beside the pulpit. <laughs> you know, some of that silly stuff. There are reasons for that. Uh, I don't think it's just about the writers and what the publishers uh, put out. Uh, they are responding to the perceived or actual market need. And the market seems to be saying, no, men just don't read that much fiction, really. I think that there are opportunities to appeal to more male readers like yourself, Zach, like myself, obviously. But clearly, we're not going to discuss all of that when it's just two blokes in the studio today. Uh, we'll need to have at least one guest and we'll absolutely profile and, <laughs> and get some women to actually learn from them. Uh, and then talk about what different Christian readers prefer and not just complain about the publishers, ignoring all the men that are supposedly out there just waiting, uh, but will not act. Like, I, I think it's um, I think it's an issue of of cultivating the reading preferences of men in the church as well. I appreciate this comment. I appreciate the uh, sensitivity of it. And to you, our anonymous listener, we, we are happy to kind of fall on our sword here to take on this topic. And yeah, I, I think we could have a whole episode about this, about preferences of men and women in reading uh, versus what the market availability is of, of books in those genres. And so, yeah, I mean, this is obviously a hot topic. And so we're, we are happy to take that on in the, the best way that we can, the, the wisest and most sensitive way we can. But uh, to you, our listener, you know, if you want to send us a, an anonymous note, that is totally fine. If you don't want to put your name on it and you, you really want to share something that you think that's great. So send us that note to podcast at lorehaven.com. Next on fantastical truth, aliens. Audiences love aliens. I am agnostic about aliens. I have a theory about whether or not they exist and whether or not that would ruin the gospel. Hint, hint. But the question remains for many of us, did God create aliens sentient creatures with moral responsibility on planets beyond our own and if he did are they fallen and if they are would jesus die again to save them christians love talking about this and we must talk about this because as zach has repeatedly informed us there are reports coming at least one big one in june revealing pentagon alien secrets ancient aliens this is definitely something that is not just conspiracy theory or popular culture. It is a legitimate challenge to the gospel. 
if this proves something is out there. Christians must discuss this, so we will discuss it in that next Fantastical Truth episode. Meanwhile, this application is easy, but don't be a support zombie. But don't try to be a zombie fighting the zombies. That would just be acting like the monster. We must avoid those hints of counterculture, counter-counterculture. Let's instead build a proactive culture, not to try to reach out to people, uh, not to persuade them to see stories that aren't very good because we want to send a message, but because we want to worship God. We want to enjoy his gifts, his creativity in the world, and magnify his name above all as we continue to seek and find fantastical truth. 